Okay, so I'm now joined by Brendan Murphy. Brendan, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you, Martin? Good, good. I'm okay. I hear that you're busy in rehearsals this week for your Edinburgh show. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'm taking two shows up to Edinburgh, um, one of which is a restaging of a solo show that I did uh, a couple of years ago. It's called Friend, the one with Gunther. Um, and in it, we retell all 10 seasons of the hit 90s and noughties sitcom Friends um, in just over an hour. Um but this will be the first time we've recast. So there's a brilliant performer. Joseph Maudsley is taking on the role um, of Gunther, it's all told Excellent. through the eyes of Gunther. Um, and yeah, we, we're just sort of doing the final touches to that before it goes up to Edinburgh um, on Monday. And your other show, you've got Buffy revamped. Yes, that's the show that um, I'll be performing myself. Um, similar concept, different anatomy. Um, it's all seven seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer as told by Spike. Um, and it, we've been touring it around since last Edinburgh, basically. We took it up, uh, had a really fun season at the Fringe last year. And then, uh, we've done a bit of a, bit of a sort of world tour of sorts, been around the UK and Ireland, off to Australia, um, and back again and, yeah, hopefully some some more far flung destinations before the year's out. Yeah, it was a great reception to it that I saw on social media last year. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I I knew going into it that um, you know that that Buffy fans we are legion. There's a lot of us out there, and um, I think we've been largely uncatered for for a little while. But I had no idea um, what the reception was going to be like especially in comparison to Friends, because, um, you know, Friends has such a broad appeal. You'd be hard pushed to find someone who didn't know at least or have caught like one episode in the UK or in the US especially. Um, whereas Buffy is more of a, I, I, I think of it as a, a slightly less broad, but a deeper love. Yeah. Um, whereas Friends fans have the T-shirts, Buffy fans have the tattoos. I think that's the sort uh, of yeah sort of distinction. I <laughs> so when did you get into Buffy? When it was first on? Yeah, yeah. When it first came out, um, I was probably on the younger side of um, the the audience demographic. I was about ten, I think, oh, when yeah, it definitely ten or eleven when it first sort of launched in the UK. So um yeah it was it was far more aspirational um but I loved it I loved I was very much into the sorcery the witchcraft the um undead I I'd been a big fan of of that as um I think I was just sort of coming into that that sort of world um and then also the aspirational teen drama element it was very cool watching 16 year olds in California live their life um yeah, I was sort of thought, oh wow, maybe that's what what's waiting for me at secondary school. Um, yeah. I was bitterly disappointed, of course, but <laughs> <laughs> but it, it stayed with me, and uh, it's been something that I've revisited since then. Yeah, there were talks of a reboot about five years ago, but yeah, it's just never materialized. Yeah, I I heard they had um, like a new showrunner attached. Mm. Um, I think all of the Joss Whedon stuff may have. Um, well, it won't have helped, um, but it sounds, from what I've read, it sounds like they had a whole 
new idea going forward with it, which could have been quite cool. And um, yeah, it's just a shame. You'd think that there would be a renewed interest. Mm. I mean, it's such a great story. Um, but we'll, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, it's, it is surprising because the comics still sell incredibly well. I don't know yeah, if you've ever checked those out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't read all of them, but um, I looked into like season eight and I have a sort of basic knowledge of it's mainly the reading around the um the original sort of seven seasons that um that has led me to understand certain things. But in the show, I'm completely focusing on the the seven seasons in Sunnydale. <laughs> Yeah, like I mean, I'm not even really veering into the um, the film or Angel. I mean, there's a little bits of Angel because there's so many crossover episodes, but largely trying to stay on message. Yeah, it's because see, I'm a huge fan of Buffy. It started when I was 16 and then ended when I was 23. So I essentially yeah. grew up with those characters. But in many respects, I think Angel is sometimes a stronger show. Right. Okay. Yeah, all right. That might be a controversial opinion for a Buffy fan to have. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a broad church, isn't it? You're you're allowed to, you know, people sort of stand different ships, and they won't absolutely will not accept any um, alternative. I think in terms of um, the you know the actual work that the creative team were doing, um, they they must have only got better and better at doing it. So by the time they started Angel, I mean, what that there, there was. Was that two seasons in? I can't remember what the sort of season break was before Angel uh, started running concurrently with Buffy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think series one launched with series four of Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they already sort of had a um I imagine built up a pretty good uh, relationship between the writers and the um, you know, the people that are actually shooting it. Absolutely. And it was about being an adult as well and challenges you face. And maybe as you get older, you it, you kind of identify more with that than yeah. school stuff. But let's talk a little bit more about you. Have you always wanted to be a performer? When did this bug bite you? Well, good question. Yeah, um, I think it was pretty early on. Um, uh, I used to do these like magic shows. I mean, not good, very bad. I have no magic skills. Um, <laughs> but I had a Paul, ba- a Paul Daniels, uh, magic set. Classic. Um, absolute classic. And I, I, I also had a dressing up box and I put on little shows for my, um, aunties and uncles whenever they came around. And it was probably more like a, um, uh, a Tommy Cooper style, uh, you know, lots of things going wrong, but turning it into a bit of a performance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I didn't really know that you could be an actor as a profession until I was probably, I mean, I suppose I knew that there were people that did it. I was aware that could exist. I didn't think it was a reality for myself until I was about 16 um, when a teacher who had been an actor um, joined the secondary school I was in and said, oh, there's a thing called drama school you can go to and you can do that instead of university. And it's uh, and, and that really sort of set me on that that path. Excellent. Yeah, it's hard to imagine a life you don't live. So yeah, it's Absolutely. hard to imagine how you could become an actor. So you grew up in Birmingham, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So um, it was, I mean, I had a lovely upbringing, but my uh, family, are, I'm Brendan Murphy. So as you might imagine, there's a bit of Irish 
in there. So I'm from a sort of Irish Catholic family, um, parents, both teachers, but I'd say like pretty comfortable, you know, you know not rich, but, um, you know, oh, a cat has entered the room. Oh, um, I'm cat sitting at the moment, actually. Are you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I'll I'll hope she's not going to be noisy in that I'm still alive. Um, but yeah, we we had um, I sort of grew up and um, it was it was great. Birmingham gets such a bad rep, you know. It's yeah, yeah. it's seen as this blank, bland sort of place. I mean, even by Brummies, it's seen as a bit of a a bit of a joke. We I noticed especially when I did move down to London that um, like on my course at drum school. Uh, there was so much pride from the people from Manchester, the people from Newcastle, Liverpool, certainly from the people from London as well. And there was just me and one other Brummie. And we were like, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's a bit middle of the road. We don't, we're a bit self-deprecating. We don't like to um, make a big fuss of things. And, you know, we're not Northern enough to be Northern and yeah. we're not Southern enough to be Southern. It's, it's a bit of a joke in itself. But I, I've grown, I've grown to... Um, love the place. I, I, I go back. My mum and dad are still there, so I I visit as as uh, often as I can. And a lot of my mates still live up there too. And my in laws are originally from Wolverhampton. Oh right, brilliant. Yeah, so oh, okay. still West Midlands. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so yeah, it's not far off. So you do um, voice acting and stuff like that. How how do you approach acting on audio to say acting on stage? Are there similar skills, or is it a completely different mindset? Uh, no, there's, there's obviously, I, well, maybe not obviously, but there's a lot of uh, similarities be- between them. Um, voice acting is really fun to do um, because you get to play so many characters that you wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, You know, I, I, you look at someone's face and that's pretty much their casting, unless you are a well-established character actor um who you know studios are willing to just throw money at and and give a chance um whereas in the world of audio you can do anything and be anywhere with re- and it's i imagine largely down to the um requisite budget you know it's it's cheaper to be in space uh, exclusively <laughs> via audio than having to build a set yeah um but yeah no i absolutely love it and um I'd say I'm still relatively new to it. I've done a lot of adverts and commercial things and I've I've had some lovely experiences. Um I was in a, a Doctor Who, um, one Excellent. of the big Finnish audio dramas, which, which um I played a guest lead in uh, an episode called the um The Tribulations of Thaddeus Nook. Um and I played a bit of a sort of a, a wide boy, cheeky chappy, um, who got into trouble, and and, and Tom Baker was there to uh, to be my doctor and and get me out of it. It was a sort I'm of working a with time traveling. Oh, really? No, no. How was it working oh, with Tom Baker? Oh, how was it? Yeah, yeah. no, fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Nice. The man uh, would constantly be reeling off these fantastic tales. Just really, just sat there in awe for the two days or so that it took to uh to record it <laughs> my friend um worked for him and he once called him and said tom how are you he's like i'm absolutely radiant darling <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. just the most um articulate um storyteller for sure um and and everyone knew it as well he walks into the room and you go oh, okay yeah. all right 
just park whatever conversation you've got. Let's let's have a listen to him. But yeah, there's an energy about him when he walks in the room. Yeah, completely, completely. And you can see why, um, you know, being a part of, uh, even like a, a very small part of a huge um, institution like Doctor Who is... Um, it's brilliant, and the, and like the the fandom is uh, unwavering, um, and that sort of is partly what influenced my um, interest in parody as well. Um, sort of looking at the audience that you're creating work for, and um, and and working from that sort of like reverse engineering how I how I'd done it before, which was create something funny and then hope I could attract people and find an audience. Um, sure. So were your inspiration stuff like Dead Ringers with John Coleshaw? Oh, um, well, I absolutely loved, uh, yeah, absolutely loved Dead Ringers. Um, also, like any of the, I, I do a um, satirical um, weekly podcast um, called Nonsensored with uh, Rosie Holt and Ishan Akbar, um, and it's produced by Ed Morrish, and it's, it's a really um, fun, it, it almost like, um, I'd say uh, it, it, it's, it, it plays on a lot of the right-wing um, talk radio shows that, you know, and TV shows now, which I'm yeah. sure we are all readily, uh, you know, that we see too much of, to be honest. Um, but it's not an impression show. So I, I've never really gone down the route of an impressionist. Yeah. Um, but it is, yeah, it just gives you so much freedom working exclusively in audio, for sure. How did that come to be? Uh, what, the podcast? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd been working with Rosie on um, another show, The Crown Duel, which was then changed to The Crown Live, another parody show. It was um, all of, at the time, it was the first two seasons of The Crown, uh, as told by two idiots. And um, <laughs> it was written uh, by a good friend of mine, Dan Clarkson, um, who wrote another, it, he's very much in the world of parody as well. He wrote um, Potted Potter, which was a um, Olivier-nominated uh, Harry Potter parody show one guy plays harry the other guy plays everyone else um two idiots getting everything wrong and it was very much in that vein but um rosie and i had been sort of writing a bit together and um yeah over lockdown basically rosie's uh comedy it completely exploded on oh. on twitter um and we, one of her characters, who was more of a sort of right-wing spokesperson, um, lampooning the Julie Hartley Brewers and the Nigel Farages and Dan Wootens and all of them, um, we were like, well, this is great. What can we do? What do we have at our disposal? We put together a, um, a pitch and we got talking to Ed, our producer, and um, yeah, it just went from there. Now we've done... I think we're on episode fifty-eight. We've done sort of like over a year worth of, um, of of weekly shows, which has been really fun and really useful as well. Um, just having some work that you can do wherever you are because yeah. you can just record remotely. You know. Yeah, yeah. The gr that's the great thing about this modern age. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it must be fantastic for you as well yeah. to like be able to do this thing, talk to so many people. It just opens so many doors that otherwise would not be possible to open we, we for the first um like 
uh, I don't know, for the first, I think, 20 or 30 shows, we had a celebrity guest mm. on each show and it, it, each episode would end with an interview. And if it hadn't have been for, you know, learning to work remotely, we wouldn't have been able to get half of them. And we've had some amazing people. We had like Stuart Lee, um, Sanjeev Bhaskar. We had, um, you know, journalists and comedians and just because they had an hour free and they were willing to hop on their um, laptop. Whereas if we had tried to get them in the room, it probably wouldn't have been able to work. Yeah. What's it been like performing post-COVID? Oh, um, I mean, it was really weird at first. I think it took a while um, for people to build back the trust. Mm. I think like the desire was always there, um, but we kind of forgot how to do it. And I, I was, I, I was, I think one of, well, maybe not one of the first, but it was pretty early on. As soon as the uh, COVID restrictions were removed, I was back on stage within a month. Um, and I say the COVID restrictions, I mean, we were, we were allowed to stage a show. The, um, there was still enforced spacing. Um, we, we actually recorded a version of my show Friend um, at Wilton's Music Hall, which is a beautiful music hall yeah, yeah. in East London. Um and the audience was um, like one audience member, then three spaces, then one more audience member. This place usually holds, I think, around 400. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess we had under 100 people. And that was that was it at capacity. Um, so it, it took a while, but now it's so nice. I mean, I've just been to a festival um, last weekend and... It's so good, mm. so good to just be seeing live music and comedy and theatre and see people relaxed and enjoying it. It's unique and brilliant. And, uh, yeah, it's. I feel like there's an immediacy and an importance to uh, live performance now that I perhaps hadn't quite acknowledged before the pandemic. Um and and actually the I, I remember I was in um I was at the Adelaide Fringe um which finished exactly five days before um the UK went into lockdown. So we were really it was some of the last performances that we could have squeezed in. Um and I remember uh getting off uh, it was getting off stage and um the guy uh Tom Walker uh is, is a comedian and he, he was he was just saying that um, this could be the last show that people see for a while. And I sort of like, mm, nah, come on. And then we didn't do anything for about a year and a half. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty wild stuff. So glad to be back is the the shorter answer. But, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess this made us all realise what we were missing. And we've kind of Completely. taken, you know, I'd taken just go into the cinema for granted for all these years and yes finally getting back to see a film was just incredible oh absolutely i mean i, I think when the pandemic first kicked off i i was in a very lucky position in the fact that i had just moved in with uh into a nice flat in a, a, a lovely area um living with two mates that i'd known since i was a kid so 
the best possible sort of support network. But even then, like I, I remember our trip to Big Asda on a Wednesday being the, the real tent pole in the week that sort of held yeah. us all together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Bizarre weird times. going to the supermarket. Yeah. Yeah. And like having now, but back to, oh, you you don't have to bulk buy your toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing was seeing the people trying to return all the stuff they bulk bought before the pandemic. And I, being- uh, I would like to rescind my previous <laughs> decision. <laughs> no, you got to stick with it, surely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're, you've got a background in improvisation. How did How did you get involved with that? Um, improv, I, uh, I started doing, I think back it like at secondary school, again, it comes down to, um, this teacher, Mark Sell. He, um, he sort of took over the, uh, drama department, uh, when, when he sort of moved to our secondary school and it was just drama games. It was short form kind of, um, basic things that a lot of people would have done. Um, and then when I went to drama school, uh, we there was a teacher called John Abbott uh, who's actually written a couple of books on improv, and he he really encouraged it. But then um, when I graduated, I decided to um, do a bit more training. Um, uh, there was a guy called David Shaw who uh, came over from Toronto, and he had brought over the um, what is seen as like the Chicago style uh improv it's american style improv um more long form um the kind of uh improv that second city and upright citizens brigade and um a, a lot of um comedians over there had been doing for 20 odd years but for some reason had never really got over to the uk um and uh, I, I continued doing short form stuff as well uh, which is more like whose line is it anyway you know improv games um and i i started a couple of shows um well i i joined a group called battleax um uh, we'll be up at the fringe as well this year um i joined them i think in 2011 uh when everyone had just sort of graduated from uh their sort of various drama schools and backgrounds um and then we had to stop doing it basically cuz all of the other members started getting too famous. So, <laughs> so we just stopped for a few years and now we're having a little reunion. Um, but it, it's really nice. Um, and it was a, a place that I found so much joy. Uh, and I think it may be a better actor and a, a better writer. And um, yeah, just made so many friends through it. So I would, I, I'm a big, um, yeah, champion of improv for sure. Excellent. What is it that you like about the Fringe? What, what's unique about that festival? It is, um, it's tricky. I I do love the Fringe. This will be, I think, my maybe 11th wow. time. Yeah, I, I went up for the first time in 2011. And I think I've only missed two years. Yeah, which is pretty wild. Um, but... Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it, it's brilliant because there. It, first of all, it's a beautiful city. Edinburgh, any time of year, is fantastic. And if you, you know, you've got to go if you have the opportunity. Beautiful place. Um, during the fringe, it turns into a whole other 
um, thing. You, you, you know, everywhere is a venue. You've got venues in cafes, pubs, um, coffee shops, uh, you know, wherever it is, toilets. There's outside little, you know, <laughs> shipping containers. It's it's brilliant, and you can see all sorts. And then you've got you've you've got the main sort of fringe, which is largely a sort of comedy festival now. Um, but then you've also got the free fringe, which is so brilliant because performers don't have to pay an arm and a leg to be up there. They mm. can pay like a hundred pounds to get their room for the month uh, to perform in. That is, um, and once you start going up there. You get to know people, and it just becomes a a party for a for a whole month. Not necessarily good for your health, um, but it's it's brilliant. There there are of course many things that I think are being discussed more publicly now in terms of the um, insane business model. People, hmm. it's it, it's very difficult to go. You're paying like over a thousand pounds to sleep in a just for a room you know, in a shared flat, like student accommodation. And presumably you're also paying for your accommodation wherever else you live. And if you live in London, that's not cheap either. Um, People can't always sublet. It's, you know, there's tricky things that need to be established um, in order to encourage the same kind of diverse um, stories that are going to be told at the Fringe. But it's unique and it's fun and it's brilliant. It's the biggest arts festival in the world and it's on our doorstep. So I'd absolutely recommend anyone that is even thinking about it should go up for a yeah. weekend. Kip on kip on a sofa with someone that you know. Um, share an Airbnb, camp if you need to, but it, it's worth a look in for sure. Yeah, I've got a friend who lives up the way, so I might go one year and just, just stay with him. Oh, definitely. Well, that's, that's the way in. Um, I think... I, I mean, I don't know what the the actual answer is to it all, but um, something that can make it cheaper and more accessible um, will only help, I think. And then the more that it's open to more people, the more interesting comedy and art and theatre and all sorts will come through. So hopefully it is going that way. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I'll have to report back to you after this fringe and uh, let you know whether it was whether it's figuring it out or not. Yeah. yeah. So has has the festival itself changed over the years? I imagine the goal before would have been to get a DVD deal or something like that. But now with TikTok and social media and stuff, has that changed? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, it, it depends what discipline you're in, I suppose. Um, but like, so my friend, Rosie is a very good example in the fact that um, I think pre-pandemic, she was um, a really good stand-up, doing great um, comedy, but, you know, it's it's playing small rooms and whatnot um, with the hope that using a stage at the Fringe, it would be an opportunity to um, further her career. Um, but then after blowing up on Twitter and having her video shared and, and, and accruing a massive following, um, last year she sold out her entire run before she had even got up there. That's incredible. Which is phenomenal. It, you know, it shifts the, the power dynamic. Suddenly it's back in the hands of the performer, which can, well, you know, can only be a good thing, really. You're not so reliant on um, being the right fit for certain publications to 
to provide coverage or knowing the right people or that that kind of thing yeah what was your first fringe like how did you feel when you went there um i loved it i i was uh, let's see what was i like 20 no i must have been like 23 um (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely i was doing a show called news review which is the longest running comedy show in the world it's got the guinness world record um but it's a bit of a mainstay there um a bit of a fringe stalwart um yeah and it's it's a topical satirical uh review show so songs and sketches based on the news um and the edinburgh version of the show is a roundup of the year so um it it was brilliant i was having great fun it was my first experience of writing and then having my my writing performed on stage uh which is a huge confidence boost and a huge learning curve as well um and because the show itself had been running so long it meant that rather than playing you know a a 20-seater room and and struggling to get people in um people already knew about it it's something that people go and see every year um and yeah just it's just so much fun to be able to to do that and and doing a show that um like paid or covered the costs for me to be up there also meant that I could do um my own bits and pieces so that's when I would do improv on the free fringe and um you know it, it sort of paid for the uh the habit of <laughs> of theater and comedy and all, all the things that you you're just not going to be able to make a huge amount of money from so as a writer do you ever stop rewriting like are you, are you able to just go I'm happy with that and and you leave it or are you always kind of going back and revising it it's uh it's a good question i do struggle sometimes i think a lot of people do i what i learned over the last sort of few years and the last few shows is um having the right people around you is key i work with a brilliant director called hamish mcdougall and he uh has directed loads of theater and, and comedy he's he's really good and he um also he helped sort of script edit my stuff so when i'll come to him with a script and he'll we'll talk about it he'll read it through and and give some suggestions and we'll kind of carve away what part of that story we want to tell um so having someone there that you trust to tell you when something needs more work and when something should be left alone is very important um yeah so that that's what i have learned i think if i was entirely on my own the tendency would be <laughs> to keep on chipping away yeah. um, which isn't always helpful is it sometimes just as simple as oh this paragraph should come here and this should is is that sometimes what the advice is yeah i mean it can be about moving things around it can be um sometimes also you know there's this yeah kill your darlings is something that you hear a lot in in sort of writing that you shouldn't become too attached to to something um and and that that does happen sometimes i've got a piece that i'm like no no no, but this will be really good and we just will try it a few times and you know hamish will be like oh look i i can understand you clearly like it but i just don't think it fits with the story that we're going to tell so um I've got lots of Google Docs full of things that I 
<laughs> I end up trying to sort of Frankenstein into um in into different shows. Uh but it's necessary and it and it helps the individual play or piece um benefit. Excellent. I think. Excellent. All right, Brendan, you've been very generous with your time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. But before we do, why don't you tell people when and where they can see your shows at Edinburgh? Absolutely. Yeah, thank you very much. Um well, I've got Friend, the one with Gunther, which will be on at 4 p.m. every day at the Gilded Balloon. Um, that's with Joseph Maudsley performing. And um, yeah, I wrote it and Hamish McDougall directed. Um, it's a lot of fun. I think it's better than when I performed it myself. So uh, definitely get along to that if you're a Friends fan. Um, then I'll be performing Buffy Revamped. Uh, which is on at 8.15 at the Pleasance at the Edinburgh International Conference Centre. Um, we've been touring it around. It's, mm. I, I think it's brilliant. It's the best thing uh, that I've done for a while. I've had so much fun doing it and meeting all the Buffy fans. It's like a proper Buffy convention, to be honest. People come in dressed up in <laughs> cosplay and stuff. Um, so if that's your bag, definitely come on that. Um, and then I'll be doing Battle Axe just for the last week which is at the Counting House, um, which is going to be on at 11.30 p.m. and has stars of stage and screen, including uh, Kyle Smith-Bino uh, from Ghosts and uh, Statlitz Flats, uh, Anna Leon Brophy and uh, Emily Lloyd Zaney, who are a brilliant sketch group and have been on TV and all sorts. Um, and yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be uh, six friends. Uh, <laughs> just having uh, a great laugh making things up on stage um so if you're looking for an evening show that's the place to be excellent well before i go have you heard anything from anyone involved with buffy did anyone see your show i have had a little bit of a back and forth with tom lenk yes who, he was um, there, wasn't he? yeah yes yeah he's a brilliant performer he's also an insane man because he has not aged yes at all I, I interviewed he him last looks... year. It annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I'm like. I'm trying to do the maths, and I'm like, yeah. but I was a child, <laughs> and yeah, it's well. He's also very kind, and he he gave um, our show a bit of a shout out um, when he was doing the press rounds for the show he was doing last year. Um, other than that, no. I mean, I know that the guys, uh, well, certainly James Masters keeps and 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 Sarah Michelle Gellar keep on getting tagged in things. <laughs> I don't know how much of that they see. Um, you know, we, we were very much the unofficial parody version, so I, I don't know whether they would be allowed to come along. I mean, they'd be mobbed to be fair. To yeah. be fair, if they came along to see a show, I'm, I'm I've got a few people that are friends with. Um, Anthony Stewart Head. Excellent. So um hopefully maybe he'll be able to I mean I might be able to entice him along. You know, if I, I give him a good disguise, yeah. maybe he could sit at the back and then I could, but he'd then have to hang out with me for a bit, which would be just as bad, really. Just another Buffy fan. <laughs> Are you planning to tour it again after the fringe? Yeah, yeah. We'll be touring around the UK um from i think we kick off in uh london at the end of october um at alexandra palace that'll be amazing um and then we're, we're touring around the uk for a bit and there's hopefully we're adding some 
North American dates as well, but that's yet to be ironed out. But fingers crossed, we'll be we'll be uh, on tour with that. Yeah, I'll definitely come and see a London date. Yeah, yeah, please do get in touch, and we will we'll sort that out for sure. Excellent. All right, thank you so much, Brendan. I'm going to let you go now. Thanks, Martin. It's been great chatting to you. Okay.